0: On previous episodes, we've covered the Vaughn 17, prisoners in Delaware who the state seeks to collectively punish for an uprising two years ago. The second trial group was just completed, leading to acquittals or undecided on all charges. This builds on the first trial group, in which the state also failed to railroad any of the indicted.
1: Oklahoma's inmate population fell to 28,000 in December, the first decrease in over three years. Despite this slight decrease, a recent report by the Prison Policy Initiative indicates that Oklahoma's incarceration rate is now the highest in the United States, weighing in at over 1,079 prisoners per 100,000 state residents. Oklahoma's incarceration rate surpassed that of Louisiana, which used to be number one, but whose rates declined to 1,052 per 100,000 because of criminal justice reforms the state legislature passed. By comparison, the average incarceration rate in the U.S. is 698 per 100,000, nearly 400 less than that of Oklahoma. Oklahoma's incarceration rate surpassed not only that of every other state in the U.S., but also that of almost every other country. As of last June, prison officials reported that more than 2,000 inmates were using temporary beds set up in living areas, common spaces, and other sites not designed for use as housing. Over 1,000 state prisoners were being housed in local jails, waiting for bed space in Department of Corrections facilities.
0: 70 prisoners in an ICE immigrant detention facility in Suffolk County, Massachusetts, went on hunger strike on February 15th to fight against poor conditions. Outside supporters held a noise demonstration outside the facility on Thursday. Elsewhere around the country, demos were organized at immigrant detention facilities and ICE offices as part of the Block the Wall mobilization, including Torneo, texas and Philadelphia. This week, we share a conversation we had with Deborah DeVines and Philip Roberts. DeVines founded the Indiana Prison Writers Workshop, in which Philip participated. Philip speaks about his time inside and how participating in the program affected him. He also shares several of his poems, both written in the workshop and after his release.
2: My name is Deborah DeVines. I'm the founder of Indiana Prison Writers Workshop.
3: Uh, My name is Philip Roberts. Uh... I was actually a participant in the workshop for about a year, and uh, I loved it.
2: <laughs> I uh, started leading that workshop, uh, Victim Impact class, it wasn't a workshop, bi bimonthly for a few months. And what I found is that the curriculum, uh, pre-designed curriculum, was really outdated, very elementary. And I felt that, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions with them. So I went off script and I asked the guys, I said, let's write a letter to your victim. It's not something we're going to send, but let's just get it off our chest and see, see what, what we come up with. And what I found is the guys in that victim impact class produced some really meaningful work. And it was a very powerful moment in that they were expressing and they were sharing things that they hadn't shared before. And the next morning I emailed the volunteer coordinator at Plainfield and I said, what would what would your thought be on me establishing a creative writing workshop here at the facility? And she said, we're all in. She said, D- put together a curriculum. And I said about doing that. And the writing workshop began in October of 2017. So that first day, uh, October 5th, I think it was, or 7th, 2017, um, I... I uh, met with the men there were probably 20 in the class at first and the number whittled down to the core 11 so there were 11 of us and myself and I would each week go over a grammar tip Um, we would read a short story and we would use our critical thinking skills to uh, discuss the short story and to base writing prompts off that short story Um, I also had a book uh, that I brought with writing prompts and we would choose from those each week and then everybody would present and they would share uh, but what I learned in the process is I was um, sharing my life with them as well, and that's not something I had intended to do. I, I went in with it thinking, you know, you know, oh, they're going to be this way, what you see in movies, right? And and shows. We just we wrote about anything and everything, and we laughed, and uh, you know, some held back tears, and we, you know, we just we we bonded. A bond was formed, and um, you know, luckily Phil. Um, We were able to keep in contact after um, his release in October of this year. You know, I wanted to come in with this curriculum, which I did, um, but I wanted to also be fluid. Uh, I think the first prompt I gave them was, if you were a bird, um, where would you go and why? And would you travel alone or with a flock of birds? Um, And so that was kind of the first prompt that kicked off, you know, the... 12-week workshop that, that never ended really. I mean, it's right. still ongoing. We talk about trauma, pain, violence, neglect, character, setting, uh, author's voice. We worked on a cover letter at one point. It really is more of a freedom of thought. Let's be c- as creative as we can, not just nonfiction, but fiction as well. We, we sit around in a circle in the prison visitor's room at, at Plainfield, at the other facility I'm at, Correctional Industrial Facility, it's a classroom setting, so I've got a chalkboard, which is a little different. Actually, yeah, there it is, but we still form a circle. I think there's um, power to that circle, and that it's more of a relaxed atmosphere.
3: So when I when I decided to go to the class, you know, there uh, there was a message that came over the the JPay system, you know, that advertised the class, and I was like, man, I was stuck in like a real like stagnant type of time. And I mean, so. I kind of needed something to, you know, give me some type of motivation, right? Um, Because I was really in a depressed state, you know what I mean? So um, I kind of just needed, you know, something to encourage me. So I signed up for the class. I mean, the first day, like she said, the first prompt that she had gave us was, you know, if you were a bird, you know, where would you go? What type of bird would you be? Would you fly alone or with another flock of birds? And, you know, she gave us 15 minutes to do that prompt. And, I mean, when she said go, it was like, man, I looked out the window, and it was like I was no longer in prison. Like, I actually became a bird, you know, and I started, you know, you know forming an identity with that bird, you know, and um, actually gave me a sense of freedom. I mean, it actually showed me what the power of writing was. You know, I actually, you know, I thought I was, you know, an okay writer, you know, but the class actually helped me, you know, become better and take it to the next level. know and actually gave me something to look forward to every week you know to you know get up and say okay let's do this you know and actually being in the class with the other guys you know we we bonded together as well you know there were some guys in the classroom that I probably normally wouldn't talk to just you know if we weren't in the classroom you know if we weren't in this class together if I didn't get to know them you know just because of you know the politics of prison you know but um Actually, getting getting to know these other guys and you know finding out that we you know actually have things in common, you know actually broke those barriers, you know, and we actually became friends, you know. So, you know, some guys like I said that I wouldn't normally talk to if I was just you know we could be sleeping right next to each other. I probably wouldn't talk to them just because, like I said, the politics of prison. But um, actually being in this class, getting to know each other and like, you know, I dealt with depression and some other guys, they dealt with depression you now. And um, the way that they explained it, you know, it's like, man, it's like, I feel that, but I couldn't actually put it into words, but I know exactly how you feel. That that was a powerful feeling. I had a piece about depression I wanted to share. I haven't really shared it, but uh, I actually wrote this from a dream. Uh, A dream that I had while I was in prison and uh, it's called A Grim Encounter. As the sun suspends in the air I have to stop and take a deep breath. I inhale my fears and exhale with relief because it seems as though Death beams over my life just like those sun rays, and some days I swear I could feel the Grim Reaper breathing heavily behind my back like he's waiting for me to lose my will to live. So I start to run as fast as I can, but as soon as I do, weird things start to happen. I look to my left, and all the grass on the ground starts turning brown. I look to my right, and all the leaves from the trees start to fall down. I get stopped in my tracks when the rubious rose sprouted from a crack then turned black right in front of me. So I looked to the sky and asked God why, but before he could answer, darkness cut the sky like a diamond sword being held by a master. So I turned around and start to run the other way, but as soon as I do, there he was, waiting for me, my eyes Caught staring at the space where his face was supposed to be. My whole body goes stiff as if I've been stricken with rigor mortis. He walks up to me slowly. He places his hand on my shoulder. I never felt the hand so icy as death. I was barely able to utter three words. I'm not ready, I said. He leaned in slowly and whispered one word, yes. At that moment, I blacked out. When I awoke, everything was normal again. And I couldn't tell if this was a dream or a premonition or neither. But one thing's for sure, i never forget the day that I met the Grim Reaper. The dream that I had, man, it was it was so vivid. It felt real. Like I can still remember it to this day, you know, so. And I think it just stems from, you know, dealing with the stresses of being in prison, the fears of, you know, messing up again and going back, you know. And um, you know, I was missing my daughter, so I felt like you know, the rose that sprouted was maybe her, but then it turned black. And I feel like that was, you know, me stressing about whether or not she was gonna remember me again. And that hurt, that hurt a lot. And I think, you know, me waking up at the end of the, at the, end of the dream, I guess, uh, you know, it was me, you know, getting out. You know, and you know, when you, once you actually get out of prison, it's, it actually seems like a dream. It seemed like time had flew by, you know, just flew by. Like, okay, so your last week of getting released from prison, it's like you're so anxious. It's like you have your day set. You know when you're going to get out. You're saying your goodbyes to everybody, getting everybody's contact information, even if you know you're not going to contact them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, You just do it just because, I guess. The the day that I woke up, you know, I didn't really even go to sleep for real. The day that I knew that I was getting out that night, I couldn't go to sleep. I was so anxious just to get out. You know, I was waiting for them to call my name to tell me to pack my stuff. They did. You know, I had all my stuff already packed, (laughs) just ready to go. And, uh, you know, they called my name, and I walked out, you know, and I filled out the little paperwork, stuff that we had to do. And, you know, they check your tattoos and stuff to make sure that you're you and not somebody else, you know. Um, You know, I walked out, and my dad was sitting there. And then it's like, man, I walked up to him, I hugged him. it was over it was over you know and it was like man it was the next it was like I didn't just you know walk into freedom you know I actually took a step into the next chapter of my life it was like everything that was in prison was over with the Roman noodles the (laughs) you know having to listen to somebody to tell you when to get up and you know when you can go to sleep and when you can watch TV and you know it was over my, my the first week I guess really didn't go you know the way that I thought it was going to go you know I had such high hopes you know uh you know stuff that I was going to do my first day really kind of broke me I'm not gonna lie it kind of broke me because I went to go see my daughter I hadn't seen her the whole time that I was locked up I had been incarcerated for two years and um she was two years old when I uh, got incarcerated, so she was four now. And, and uh I was afraid that she wouldn't remember me. And uh, so my first stop was of course just to go see her. So that's where I went was to go see her. You know, I was excited, I had butterflies, you know, my palms were sweating. I was like, oh man, you know. I told my daughter's mother not to tell her that I was coming, just to surprise her. You know, but I talked to her on the phone all the time, you know what I mean so I figured, no, she would at least remember, you know what I mean, remember me, but I walked in, I walked into the house, and, though know, she was sitting down eating her lunch, and um, I walked in, and I said, hi, then she, you know, she kind of waved at me and said, hi, then, uh, but then she looked at her mom, like, who is that? <laughs> you know, she was like, who, who is that? And I was like, hi, can I have a hug? Then she kind of, she got up, and was like, no, who, like, mommy, who is that, you know? And then, I mean, that... Like, I don't know, man. It, like, it crushed me, you know. And that was my motivation there to, you know, to know that I have to do better, you know, for her, you know, for our relationship. Because my daughter is everything to me, you know. You know, her mother kind of, you know, was like, go give him a hug. And that's your father. That's your, that's your Dad. And, um, you know, she still didn't want to do it. She's like, but I don't want to, you know, because she was just afraid of me. You know, she started crying because her mother was trying to make her. And I told her, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to cry. It's okay, you don't have to do it. You know, um, uh, but later on, later on that week, um, that was a Monday. So that Thursday, I went to go see her again. You know, I had a plan. <laughs> I was like, I had a plan this time, right? So I was like, okay. So I had sat down, you know, and I was talking to her, and then I got to showing her old videos and pictures off of Facebook of me and her together. And she was like, "Who is that? Is that me?" And I was like, "Yeah." And who is that right there? She was like, "That's you." You know what I mean? And you can tell her eyes just lit up. You know, she actually recognized who I was. I mean, ever since that moment, it was like I had never left. It's amazing, really. It's amazing. Speaking about my daughter again, like I actually wrote um, a piece for her while I was incarcerated. You know, I, I wrote it like I was speaking directly to her, and um, it's called "Daddy's Little Princess." I feel like I wrote this to prepare myself to meet her, you know, to meet her again, you know, and how that conversation would go, you know, if she could actually understand, you know, how I felt, you know. Okay, so this is called "Daddy's Little Princess." You are Daddy's little princess. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, as beautiful as you are, your light shines like... Mm, sorry, let me start over. <laughs> you are daddy's little princess. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, as beautiful as you are, your light shines bright in the midst of my darkness. Your voice takes the pain away. Your laugh it can run the rain away. You're such an angel. Your wings have made of gold. He sent you straight from heaven, baby girl. You touched my soul, and that's why I miss you. I miss you like the sky misses the sun at midnight. But that brings me everlasting joy, for I know that the sun will kiss the sky again at sunrise, and I too shall kiss those chubby cheeks soon. You're my life. You're my light. You're my motivation, you're my breath, you're my everything, you're my love, you're my soul. You're my baby, your daddy's little princess. I feel like being able to prepare myself to meet her made it that much easier even though she didn't remember me. I kind of prepared myself for it, you know. I mean in all in other aspects as well too, like, you know, with the jobs and stuff like that. I actually found a job within a week of me getting out and I didn't think I would be able to do that, you know, so being able to, you know, um, use the things that I learned in a creative writing class, you know, as far as how to fill out applications, how to do the cover letter, you know, and uh, you know, tips on interviews and you know, what to say and what not to say and stuff like that, you know, definitely prepared me, you know, to coming into society. I wouldn't have, I guess, as much confidence because I guess without those things, without those, um, you know, those tips, I would probably be kind of, you know, hesitant on, you know, trying to fill out a cover letter to the point I probably wouldn't do it, you know.
2: So you know, my experience working with Phil and the Eleven um, was extraordinary, and I've since um, added the class to two other facilities. And I was telling the guys at Plainfield that I'm going to transition out. and I have another volunteer. And one of the guys wrote this piece, uh, Sunday, Sweet Sunday. Do you really, hopefully I won't cry. Do you really think that you just make a day or that you just uplift a week or that your bi-monthly brightness just helps one or two? to bypass the darkness from the shadows of steel bars. Do you really think that you've just made a year fly or that you've just turned mere dreaming into live streaming? Sunday, sweet Sunday, your presence makes a difference and so does your absence and your passion has changed at least one life forever. So that's, you know, that's why I I get up and do what I do. And, and, um, you know, I definitely believe in second chances, five chances, 20 chances, um, you know. Uh, We all make mistakes, Um, and Phil was one of those guys who, his writing, uh, he delivered, and when he didn't, you know, I said, let's rework this, but, you know, show more, tell less in stories, and he does a great job of of that fine balance.
3: When I first got out, I was actually staying at the Wheeler Mission, stayed there for about about six weeks, so it was kind of hard to actually, you know, and I I had to stay there because I didn't have a legal address, I guess, to stay at. The Wheeler Mission was my only place that I could stay legally. That was kind of hard to deal with, especially trying to, you know, spend time with my daughter. You know, I can only do it, you know, at certain times. And um, But now um, I have transitioned into a, um, a halfway house called uh, the Nazareth Man House. It's a, a faith based housing program for offenders coming out of prison where they could stay rent free and get them uh, get themselves together um, doing that now trying to you know get my personal life together you know get uh, my financial situation and being able to get my own place and uh, you know get a car and stuff like that so it'll be a lot easier you know to continue to rebuild those relationships but as far as my daughter, um, man, I want to spend as much time with her as possible. She, she's just like a big ball of joy, man. She's, she just loves to have fun. And whenever I see her, she brings up my day. It doesn't matter what my mood is, you know, um, she always makes me feel better. Um, I actually felt bad today because she went to the dentist. <laughs> and um, yeah, so. I know she's probably scared. You no, know, she told me she was scared the first. This is her second time. And when she told me she was scared the first time. So I was like, oh, man, I wish I could have been there. <laughs> um, but I want her to know who I am, not just saying, you know, that's my father. You know, I want her to know exactly who her father is. Uh, Miss Deborah actually gave us a writing prompt in class to basically think about that one woman in your life, you know, that caught your attention, you know, and what did she have that made you want to want her? You know? And uh, this is what I had came up with, and it's called Unknown Thing. From the moment I laid my eyes on you, I knew that I had to make you mine. Your beauty sent chills down my spine. I think my heart skipped a beat, but I couldn't let you see that I was nervous. I had to keep my composure. It was hard, though, because after a little convo, I noticed that this attraction went deeper than the surface. You had that unknown thing, an attractive force so powerful that it alters the orbit of every man that it encounters. It's more than mere beauty or sexuality, though they both play a part of it. It was something subtle yet distinctive. It was innocent and also oh, so dangerous. Whatever that unknown thing was, you had it. And I had to have it. So this piece is entitled Addict. I have a confession. And I could really care less if any of you can take it. See, I'm an addict. Yet I go to the local education dealer to get high. But that's a legal high off of Books and traveling, dance and colors, poetry and music. But yet no one would go with me to get this fix that feels so good it runs through my veins and I wish you could just learn with me. Experience the world, but wanting to know more is illegal in my world. So I sneak off to where it's safe and find an armature of words be Even that word armature, that's protective covering for those of us who are subject to only one meaning per word. With our ignorance, we are bandaged The English language is so broad, why not use it to our advantage? And why should I just impress my parents by stepping on the campus other than say to myself, man, I'm here because I planned this. (laughs) Because I'm an addict and I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just letting y'all know that I want more of it. More of this lift that sets me above the rest, but I'm merely a figurine in this world of bookheads or bookworms, whatever you call us. When you need a little fix yourself, you're sure to call us because you need us, but don't claim us. And when you see us, you try to blame us because you decided to skip class to go to Mickey D's. Crying now because you got papers full of S and D's. You see, I sneak a little Stephen King when I'm feeling scary or maybe some Shakespeare so that I can dare me to find the definition of what light through yonder window breaks. It is the East, and Juliet is the sun. See, like I told you I'm an addict, looking behind the perpetual tragic irony of this world, searching for someone to get high with. But see, that is a legal high off of paperback adventures and real-life sky paintings, be flats and exaggerated movements to music. And when we find each other, we can travel across that bridge to Terabithia, to a land where the bookheads and the bookworms are the cool people. Here we can escape from our bandages of ignorance and at least a poetic wrath of wisdom. Because, man, I don't know about y'all, but in the real world, I feel like King Kong caged in. And as I stand on top of the Empire State Building beating my chest, no one understands my actions. But I'm screaming out, give me back my love. Give me back my heart. Give me back my soul. Give me back my peace. And please let me go back home. I need these things. For I'm an addict but I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just letting y'all know that I want more of it, more of this lift that sets me above the rest, but I'm merely a figurine in this world of bookheads, of bookworms, whatever you call us. When you need a little fix yourself, you're sure to call us cause you need us, but don't claim us. And when you see us, you try to blame us cause you decided that school wasn't cool and finally dropped out crying now because you're a tenant in a crack house you see I sneak a little Stephen King when I'm feeling scary or maybe some Shakespeare so that I can dare me to find the definition of to be or not to be but see the crazy thing is that is the question for the answer is in a permanent print being retyped and retold by addicts such as I. And if you carry a light load, then you're not fat enough for this ride because it will toss you and throw you across the distant seas. But unfortunately, you'll be too uncomfortable and run back to your rocky streets. Now, see, I know. That I'm smarter than most, but I have room for much more. I have a lot of keychains, but I have more room for more keys and unopened more doors like wooden and chestnut, metal and steel. I've already robbed the bank from the real and unreal. And you're that damsel in distress being held by King Kong. Well, my lady, you can feel free and safe in my arms while the world turns the nose up. Because if you're not like them, then you're not dumb enough. And if you're not dumb enough, that means that you're not smart enough for the streets. Now that, my people, is knowledge. But yet I'm so distressed with knowing that you're filled with a gang of unknowns that could be learned if you simply chose to. But now you're too grown to. And see, that's when I have to give it up. I have to find my stash and sniff it up. I have to fill my cup with lyrical fantasies. I have to wrap my arms up with book bags overflowing with Donald Lawrence, cause yeah, he's the best drug I've got. Or I could settle for R.L. Stein shot, y'all. That's goosebumps on the rocks. I'm just saying that I'm an addict and I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just letting y'all know that I want more of it. More of this lift that sets me above the rest, but I'm merely a figurine in this world of bookheads or bookworms, whatever you call us. When you need a little fix yourself, you're sure to call us, because you need us, but don't claim us. And when you see us, you try to blame us, because my brother, now, nah, partner, my French, but in the real world, man, you ain't shit. And yeah, I know that I'm an addict, but I'm not apologizing for it.
0: Thanks to Phil and Deborah for speaking with us. You can learn more about the Indiana Prison Writers Workshop at inprisonwritersworkshop.org. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. Feel free to write us at kiteline at You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.